Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. This show is supported by generous listeners like you through our Patreon. This episode was underwritten by the Tamsin G Association and Warrior Queen. To learn more about ways to support Oh My Dollar and get cool perks like exclusive live streams and a fancy special cat icon on our forums, is it a cat icon? It is a cat icon. <laughs> you can visit ohmydollar.com slash support. <laughs> Welcome to Oh My Dollar, a personal finance show with a dash of glitter. Dealing with money can be scary and stressful. Here we give practical, friendly advice about money that helps you tackle the financial overwhelm. I'm your host, Lillian Kerbake. And all of June, we have been talking on and off about different queer money issues, things that impact the LGBTQ community during the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots, which kind of launched the modern pride movement. And one issue that I think is often ignored is intersex issues, which end up being pretty heavily financially linked because a lot of intersex folks have medical issues. So we are joined today uh, to learn more about this by Hans Lindahl to talk about how being intersex can impact your finances. Hans is a communication director for Interact, an organization which uses innovative legal and other strategies to advocate for the human rights of children born with intersex traits. She's also a San Francisco-based intersex cartoonist, has been active in intersex advocacy and activism since 2015. She's spoken to general audience, doctors, lawyers, and state legislatures about intersex issues. Hans does sensitivity reading work for authors and creators writing intersex characters. Her goal is to increase intersectional awareness and create sensitive intersex re representation in comics and other media by writing and illustrating full-length stories. Let's get her on the phone. Hi, Hans! Well, we've brought you on today because in addition to being a smart human, you're also intersex and an advocate for people born with intersex traits. For listeners that might not know, what is intersex? Sure. So, hi, Lillian. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm an intersex person, and the way that I explain it, I've been doing this work for many years, is basically intersex people don't know how to follow directions. So it has to do with the human sex development process. And about 98% of people usually develop their body along one or the other complete path, right? So packages that we think of as quote-unquote male, you know, you have these traits, or quote-unquote female, and you have these other traits. Intersex people are very creative in their direction following, so they have somehow um, not exactly followed one of those paths. So maybe they have a mixture of some characteristics, or maybe they didn't develop some characteristics, um, but either way, their body is just not exactly as expected. Um, so you've deviated from one of those paths, and um, intersex people are fairly common. It's about 1.7% of the population by broad definition. Okay, so this is this is not an insignificant amount of people that might fall into this category. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely not. And um, most people find out this information about themselves in a medical context. And intersex is kind of a reclaimed term. So some people identify as intersex and take on everything that means politically, and other people either might choose to position that differently for themselves or because of their medical interactions um, might just consider themselves, you know, a man or a woman with a medical condition or both. Um, But it's a very broad term. And that's one of the things that, like, within the queer community has been, you know, the the question of whether or not intersex folks are kind of part of the alphabet soup umbrella that has been created because some people really feel like this this is not part of my gender identity. This is a medical condition I have. And then other people feel very strongly like I... I exist at this intersection of different gender characteristics, and therefore I am part of the LGBTQIA plus community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm definitely a believer in the inclusion model, right? Because mm-hmm. to me, it makes a lot of sense. So I think uh, the key thread that really links us all together is this idea of demedicalization, right? So it wasn't until about 1990 that being gay was declassified as a mental disorder, right? And Mm -hmm. being trans was just declassified as a mental disorder by the World Health Organization this year. And so likewise, intersex people have been fighting to be declassified as a physical disorder, right? Because all of these things somehow happen within your natural body, right? They've happened on their own. And to the individual, it might not necessarily really be a problem. It's because of this lens of medical pathologization, that all of these things are, are marginalized. And I often say that being intersex, you can have any gender, so it's not necessarily directly to do with your gender, but the violence that intersex people experience is because of gender, right? So right. things like surgeries to change our bodies without our consent, um, these are all based in homophobia, transphobia, all of these exact same forces historically. Because if you couldn't tell what sex a person was, you couldn't tell if you couldn't make sure that they were being heterosexual at all times. Right. So, I mean, that kind of leads into the next question, which is that intersection, uh, intersex children often have medical procedures done on them as quote unquote corrections and end up spending the rest of their lives dealing with costly health care. That is a result of things done to them without their consent, you know, sometimes like right after birth. Can you give me some examples of like kind of the long term health care consequences of of intersex medical interventions done? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Um, So I think we talked about a content warning for for medical. I'm trying not to get too in-depth, but I'll touch on on some of what these things could be. I would generally separate um, intersex interventions into kind of two categories, which would have different types of, you know, financial and medical effects for an adult. Um, Most intersex interventions are done when a child is under two years old. So currently, parental consent is the model for all of these types of interventions. And so I would say there's two categories. Um, The first category being um, having to do with the internal or external gonads, so the hormone-producing organs. And the second category is procedures that have to do with the external genitalia and sort of the appearance of the genitalia. And so for the first category with internal gonads, um, children, you can have different combinations of, of gonads. And gonad is the neutral term for hormone-producing organs, so gonads become either ovaries or testes. And you might have a child who has, you know, quote-unquote, the wrong, or, you know, you'd look at them on the outside, and inside they have, you know, different gonads than you might expect. So someone who has a vulva on the outside could have internal testes. And Mm. so um, a common procedure is to want to remove 
those internal testes because a person with a bulbent testes just doesn't match. That must be an emergency. But really what you're doing often in that situation is removing a person's hormone-producing organs, which means that they're going to be dependent on artificial and external hormones for their entire life. And hormones are a big deal for a lot of things. Like, you need them. Hormones are a big, big deal. So that's a pretty significant thing. If those testes or ovaries or internal organs would have produced hormones, you're then um, taking that away from that person. And we talk about how these can also impact fertility, right? Because, you know, that testicular tissue might be able to be salvaged for something um, in terms of fertility. So those types of surgeries are a big deal in that they affect your hormone dependency for your entire adult life. And there's, of course, zero studies on intersex adults. So all of this is, you know, a crapshoot for us. Um, So these interventions happen very young, and then nobody knows anything about us or can do anything for us or has any data at all about intersex adults, um, as far as on the hormone side, especially. Um, So... It, it sounds like to me, because of this, intersex folks need to find healthcare providers lifelong that understand their needs, that like understand w- the characteristics that intersex people need and have, and also understand you know long term interventions. Is that challenging? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And I forgot to touch on the second category of interventions, mm. which is has different effects, right? So the hormonal effects of gonad surgeries, and then genital surgeries are an entirely different category. So with that, um, the side effects are pretty, can be pretty severe, all the way from sexual dysfunction to urinary issues and infections because you were doing surgery and creating scar tissue where previously, you know, you didn't need to, mm-hmm. right? Anytime that you do surgery, you're creating scar tissue, creating risk, um, you might need reoperation. So if you've had genital surgeries, that could be anything from a clitoral reduction um, which done on an infant can be pretty sexually compromising. Um, things like vaginoplasty, where you're creating that in an infant, which is a very intense procedure to heal from. And, of course, um, other procedures to sort of normalize the external appearance of the genitalia, which can involve tinkering around and moving the urethra. And usually the urethra was fine. It was working. You could pass urine, so there wasn't an actual health mm. risk. But they move it for sort of cosmetic reasons. And then that can end up having effects on people's ability to urinate. Right, because those surgeries are incredibly risky. Like the risk of infection and urinary problems from touching the urethra just is generally very high. So if it was working in the first place, then, you know, didn't really need to do that. So and, and this all happens, you know, to a kid before they're at any point able to consent usually generally right and so but then they're they're carrying around essentially this this lifelong financial and health burden of making sure that they have access to providers that understand what they've they've been through and also have (laughs) right that have like information sorry that's a funny thing i mean it's funny because you live it right it's funny because it's not possible like Mm -hmm. the statistic that we quote is that so 82% of intersex people have changed providers um, alone because of insensitive language. Mm. So, like, only for that reason, 82% of people are leaving and uncomfortable and frustrated. And, and that's so just language. That's not even... That's only for using, you know, outdated and horrible language because mm-hmm. nobody knows anything about intersex people, right? So, I mean, you touched on having to find understanding providers as an adult, and we laugh about that because it just doesn't exist. I mean, I live in San Francisco. I've had such horrible experiences trying to find someone here that, and, you know, I know all my friends' stories from different places across the country, folks that are everywhere from large metros to very small rural 
areas and you know we're all kind of in the same boat it's all word of mouth it's all sort of like this underground little network of like okay who isn't terrible and isn't going to scar me in the first 30 seconds of the interaction and we'll sort of take our chances trying to access care because we need things for you know like adult effects of genital surgery urinary problems Um, and of course hormone management is usually the biggest one so, I, I mean, obviously, healthcare in the U.S. is is a challenge, but I, I imagine that this is true even even in places that maybe have less screwed up healthcare systems than the United States. Like finding providers that still understand what it, our knowledge is constantly changing around intersex folks, like mm-hmm. that understand this, must be a challenge everywhere in the world. Of course. Um, yeah. I'm- I mean, I go, you know, I thought that going to like LGBT or trans clinics would be better because I thought Mm -hmm. maybe they would at least understand hormone management in different populations. Right. Um, But I've had some of my worst experiences at, you know, clinics that were supposedly trans clinics. Right. Like I go in, they hadn't heard of intersex people. They didn't have any forms for me. They didn't have anything. And Mm -hmm. it's just always been a really frustrating experience. Right. So just just not actually even knowing how to put you in a box, which is kind of the life of an intersex person impacting your ability to get care in any way. Right. And a lot of the things like the codes, for example, for medical codes will get Mm -hmm. coded as trans care. And so, of course, intersex people every time are also swept up in the discrimination against trans people, because when we're trying to um, eliminate transgender health care, like this attack that we're under siege from right that's also every time going to affect intersex people because that's how we're coded and sometimes that's the places that we go to and of course you know historically we've always tried to stand with our trans siblings because our issues are very very linked and very close yeah uh well thank you for being part of the umbrella (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome Thank you for helping br- break down the gender binary by your pure existence. Um, <laughs> We're working on it. <laughs> uh, like, have if you're willing to talk about it, can you talk about ways that, you know, being intersex has impacted your own finances? Yeah. Um, I mean, well, for, I guess first and foremost, um, my current job is for an intersex nonprofit. So, um, that is, of course, a financial decision, right? Working for mm-hmm. a small nonprofit for a cause that you really care about. And so that is, of course, a choice, but it does also restrict um, what I'm able to do, especially as far as healthcare. Um, so right now I don't have healthcare. Um, I've never been really able to afford the premiums because the premiums don't cover any of the few places that I'd actually be able to go where I feel safe as an intersex person. Mm. So that's another thing is that you feel even more restricted, incredibly restricted in who you can go to and where to go to not just be, you know, immediately insulted. And so once you find that person, you're very loyal, right? Or like very locked in. And so um, I've been right now trying to pay out of pocket to be able to see just that person who I know is safe. Mm -hmm. Um, But it, it affects me also because, you know, obviously I'm paying out of pocket for these things. I'm paying more to avoid triggering doctors. Like I will pay any amount of money to not be asked when my last period was Mm. like, you name it. I will pay pay it. Just please stop (laughs) asking people that question. Um, But I think also for me as an intersex person who has had a gonadectomy, um, hormones obviously is the issue. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's, I, I think it's a lot easier for folks on estrogen compared to folks that are trying to get on T. Um, 
pay for testosterone. Because um, it's more common, it's more regulated because it's more well, ripe for yeah, abuse? Es- right. Well, estrogen is, synthetic estrogen is, inc- is much more common also mm. because that's a component of birth control, oh, right? right? So how common is that? And so right now what I've been doing thanks to Obamacare, is just using, you know, the small amount of estrogen in birth control pills to try to get it that way because of Obamacare, um, the copays are restricted. So that's like an accessible way to get at least some small amount. Um, oh, so America's so broken. America's so broken. In the interim because I can go, you know, and get that. Um, but if I wanted to get like an actual dose of estradiol or you know, suppose that I was a person who was more masculine or, or, you know, a male or masculine intersex person who preferred testosterone. And a lot of um, actually intersex people who are female in their gender also prefer testosterone because some intersex people, um, you know, are, are women but are androgen insensitive. So their systems react better to testosterone, mm. which actually feminizes them. So with hormones, um, that's, that gets expensive. Testosterone, I think, is, is many times as much as estrogen, especially the injections can be really really expensive and um, out of pocket that's also the thing i mean from what i'm hearing is that like there is a lot of factors that go into even figuring out if you do need if you do need hormones even figuring out what kind of hormones and what works for your body because it's Mm -hmm. it's such a complicated thing and that to me as an american that sounds like an expensive a sense expensive place to get to (laughs) yeah i mean anytime that you're doing like that trial and error like absolutely because you're supposed to be tracking it over time um which i of course haven't been able to afford to do um you're also supposed to be for intersex people you're supposed to do bone scans like bone density scans because one of the main health consequences of the lack of hormones is osteopenia osteoporosis because estrogen and I think tea, but at least estrogen for sure. What I know in my case is that that really affects your bone density and who knows like what else in your system. Right. So mm. I think most days I'm in a very like neutral state where I don't make any tea. I don't make any estrogen and I have only like very small amounts of estrogen from what I'm taking externally. Um, and so, yeah, I wonder about kind of what that's doing. <laughs> yeah. We'll find out. Right. Oh, and you just have to go go check it up with a CT scan. No big deal. Uh. I mean, well, the, the ridiculous the bullshit is that, you know, a lot of people are, are having to bear these costs and these logistics because of things that were done to them by the medical industrial complex in the first place. Right. right. Like if they took your gonads, if they messed up your genitals, like they did that to you. And now here you are as an adult, like SOL. Right. And there's a lot of people for which they they didn't even know until they, they had puberty or even some people a lot later in life that they had these things yeah. done to them. Right. Because exactly. a, a lot like, of it I was mean, kind of concealed or hushed hushed. And some, you know, that was kind of a couple generations ago, the model. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the, the wild thing is that, you know, of course, medicine was always built as a very paternalistic institution. I think it wasn't until the 60s, 70s that it even became protocol for doctors to tell people what was wrong with them. Like, you have this terminal disease, or you can do this, or you can do that. Like, that is new, like, giving people options, even. And so that was kind of where the model of intersex care came from, was that the doctors would decide this is so shameful, you can't tell anyone, we're going to erase it. And they might not even tell the parents um, from, like, the 50s Mm. through the 70s, even 80s sometimes. And so there's this generation of older intersex adults who are traumatized by that model and who you know they might find out in I I know several friends who are like older women in like their 40s 50s 
who didn't find out that the operation they had as a child was a, to take out their testes until they were like 40s, 50s, and they found their medical records. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a big deal. Like, there's consequences of that in, in the long term. All right. So if people are hearing this and they're, they want to support intersex people in getting safe health care and, like, helping helping generally to make this be less screwed up is there anything they can do um probably (laughs) so um i mean so what intersex activists have been trying to do for decades is to you know go above the medical industry and change policy um because that's really you know if medicine won't self-regulate for ethical concerns like it's been doing like it did with electroshock therapy like it's doing with gay conversion therapy Mm -hmm. right then that's where we have to kind of zoom out to a policy level um, when there's ethics and human rights concerns. And so um, I think the best way to do that is, of course, by, by giving directly. So the organization that I work for, Interact, is um, the only intersex led law and policy group that is working on this issue nationally. Um, and there are other, and so we put out um, educational materials, um, and you can also pay Interact or pay other folks like us to come and educate. Um, med students, educate um, health ed teachers, you know, um, because in med schools, um, there's usually no curriculum that's dedicated to this. Mm. So supporting Interact, organizations like Interact um, monetarily, um, we do provide educational materials, um, so brochures, information, hospital policy guides, um, and other organizations too. There's a really fine organization called the Intersex Justice Project um, that takes the angle of more direct organizing, like on the streets, protests. Um, but yeah, I think between those types, supporting those types of groups, um, paying people to come in and speak to medical audiences, and anybody can call their hospital and ask what their policy is. Because there's no hospital in the United States that has come out as saying that they're not doing this. Hospitals won't say that they're not doing this. So if you call, you know, call their ethics department, ask about, about their policies, then, you know, maybe something will start to register. Yeah. We just slowly death by a thousand paper cuts as like the hospitals give to us. We can give back to them and maybe they'll change policy. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And just talking about it is helping. Right. Because we went from, you know, burn the medical records, tell no one in the 1950s to the 90s being the start of sort of public intersex people connecting via the Internet and starting to protest in the streets. And now here we are in 2019, 2020, where we're making serious strides towards our first um, actual policy and enforcement of, you know, giving intersex people equal rights over their own bodies. Um, that, I mean, I feel like that's a really hopeful note to end on. Uh, something I ask every guest, it doesn't always make it into the final cut, is what is the best financial decision you've made and what is the worst? Okay, these were easy, easy things to pinpoint for me. <laughs> so my, my best was changing my name. And I think that was an expensive gift to myself because I, of course, am usually on the threshold where I make not enough to qualify for any like help or wave fees or anything, but too little that I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I you know, was able to change my name. And in California, they make it a little bit easier. But all in, that was probably about $600. Um, but, you know, not having to hear my old name and not getting um, dead named by cashiers when I'm buying gas station slushies, that is priceless. That is a priceless gift from me to me. I also changed my name and it was very valuable. I would. Yeah. I don't even I don't even think about the money. We, you know, yeah. it's just like. Right. Yeah. And that's how you know it's a good financial decision. Yep. 
I like right. that. And so my worst, my worst, hands down, um, when I first moved to San Francisco and when I was like 21, um, I took my dad's advice and I bought a car to live in San Francisco. Ooh. And I'm sorry, Dad, <laughs> um, but that was horrible. Um, and I think it kind of speaks to like a generational and value difference in like, like understanding kind of how to live and like cities. And it just wasn't really applicable advice in a different climate. And so that was probably the headache of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a car in San Francisco is oof. I I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sure listeners will learn a lot. And if they want to connect with you as a human and also with the work of Interact, where do they go? Yeah, so our website is interactadvocates.org, um, interact underscore ADV on social media. And so I post most of the updates on our policy work and just all the things that are going on in Intersect's world via those pages. And myself, my handle on everything is hi, hello, Hans. Um, so Instagram, Twitter, and I also have a YouTube channel where I'm starting to explain these intersex concepts. That's so awesome. Thank you so much, Hans. Yeah, thank you so much, Lillian. This was a pleasure. Uh, anything you want to add before we run out the tape? Um, Go intersex people. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> we'll we'll cut that into that. the end. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I don't know what to say to that. Support your local um, organizing intersexuals. <laughs> nice. Um, uh, this was so great. Thank you for all of your patience, uh, given that Thank this you. is our second run through of this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Lynn. Bye. That wraps our show for today. We love hearing from you. Email us your financial worries or successes at questions at ohmydollar.com and tweet us at Anomalily or at ohmydollar. Our producer is Will Romy. Our intro music is by Aaron Parecki. And your host and personal finance educator is me, Lillian Kerbake. Thanks for listening. And till next time, remember to manage your money so it doesn't manage you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.